Have you ever noticed how often we talk about, or that we're always ready to talk about, what we love? Let me pray with you for a moment. Father, as we look to your word now, we invite you to speak into our life in personal ways. So that really obligates us to just sort of say, I'm open to that, God. So I pray that that would be our collective decision and yet an individual decision. Say, um, I'm listening, Father. What would you have for me? May you be exalted even in the listening, but not just in the listening, in the, the application of this. So we invite you to speak to us through your word via your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in this series of messages, short little series called Good News, and last week we talked about Jesus as he recruited his leadership team, and as he recruited his leadership team, he said, I want to talk to you about what we're going to be doing, and so last week we talked all about the what, what is the mission, and we looked in Mark chapter 1, and just a few verses there, and in three verses, there's three times Jesus reminds us of what the mission is. He says, I'm going to call you, each and every one of my followers, to be fishers of men, and two times in those three verses as well, he says, you're going to be going out to share the good news, the good news of the kingdom. And so he reminds us and what he's going to call each one of us to, what the mission is to share the good news. Then as he goes through about three years of time, and he goes up to Jerusalem on Easter weekend and gives his life and rises from the dead, 40 days after that, he's been with his disciples and 500 of the disciples at different times. And just before he is about to return to the Father, ascend to the Father. The last thing he does is he says, I want to remind you again of what the mission is. And the mission is this, you're going to receive power, you're going to pour out the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit, and I expect you to live a Spirit-filled life on a daily, ongoing basis. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Lethbridge, and in Judea, in all of Alberta, and in Samaria, in the neighboring provinces, and to the very end of the earth. And so in this series, we want to talk about sharing good news. We want to talk about it in a very natural way, in a very organic way. And I personally, and maybe you have as well, have been involved in the big projects. I've memorized the big hour, hour and a half long presentations. And I'm not saying that those things are all bad, but we want to talk about just uh, a very sort of low-key, natural, organic way of sharing the good news of Jesus with people. And so the image I'd like you to have in mind is sitting in your favorite coffee shop, whether it's McDonald's or Tim Hortons or Starbucks, or if you're just sitting in your kitchen with your coffee mug or at work, and you're sitting there with your friend, with your neighbor, with a relative, someone that you're in relationship with, and you just very naturally, organically begin to have with them a spiritual conversation. 
And so today, we're going to talk about the motivation. Good news, why? Last week, what? This week, why? About 10 years ago, Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With The Why. And in it, he articulated that in business, it's much less about the how and the what. It's much more about the why. Because we're motivated towards action by answering and knowing the answer to and articulating the why. And he suggested that healthy companies understand that motivation starts from the inside out. Understand the why. Because he's articulated and postulated, and I agree with him, that without the why, if you don't get the why, no one really cares, and eventually they'll either underperform or they'll quit. Let me tell you about the first time in my life that the why really gripped me. I was 16 years of age. I'd been a Christian. I'd been a follower of Jesus. I'd surrendered my life to him for like five years at that point. And uh, yeah, I I cared about lost people. Um, I'm sure, I don't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure I shared my faith a few times in those five years. But when I was 16 years of age, um, I went with a group of my friends to Manitoba. There was three carloads of us. I was in the first car. Two cars back, it was four people. They were in an accident on the highway. Three of my friends, including my best friend Dallas, were all killed. And a few days later, I was carrying Dallas's casket Barry right behind, and Jan just behind that. And as we lowered those caskets into the grave, I was confronted very vividly with the fact that we all die. That we all are faced with eternity. And the why powerfully gripped me at that time, that every one of us, we don't like to talk about this at all. Even back then, we didn't like to talk about it. Every single one of us will die, and every single one of us is going to end up in one of two places. This was the first time in my life that the why vividly connected with me at sort of a visceral level. Now, all three of those friends of mine knew Jesus as Savior and Lord, had vibrant relationships with him. So their deaths were very hard. Many tears were shared. It was the largest funeral in the history of Regina at that point. But knowing that they were where they were, like scripture says, took the sting out of it. But let me ask you, what about the next guy that you care about deeply? When he or she dies, You want to be confronted with this idea that why in the world didn't I tell them about Christ? Why in the world didn't I tell them about Jesus? See, this is the fire, at least part of it, behind the why. But I understand it's really hard to do. I get it, okay? Rico Tice writes this, evangelism requires us to cross the pain line. 
And so I'm not minimizing the fact that this is tough stuff to do. I understand it very personally. Evangelism requires us to cross the pain line. And so the why really has to flow out of some deep-seated convictions. And so if you have your Bible or your device, turn with me to the book of Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read some verses, three verses in there in just a moment. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is being used of God. He's going different places. He's sharing Jesus. And he visits the community, the Mediterranean community of Thessalonica. And he begins to share Jesus with the people there and a whole bunch of Uh, with a bunch of Jewish people there, and a bunch of them bow the knee and come to faith in Christ. But at the same time, as he's sharing this good news, there also stirs up a mob of people that are diametrically opposed to him, that want him dead. They're hassling him, they're coming after him, and this mob chases him out of town. If you keep reading in chapter 17, he moves on to Berea, and it's a repeat performance. In Berea, he shares faith with a bunch of Jews. A number of them come to faith, but the mob follows, they literally follow it. They're so angry at this guy. They follow him from Thessalonica to Berea. They chase him out of town, and they want this guy gone. Then Paul escapes Berea, and he goes to Athens. And I think many people might stop at that moment and say, why am I doing this? Why am I sharing this? Why am I quite literally risking my life to share this story? Why doesn't he just give up? And let's let's begin to read about why this burns within him. In chapter 17, verse 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Why doesn't he give up? Reason at the core is because he had a deep-seated conviction. And this conviction had broken his heart. Paul had a broken heart. Because he comes into the city and he sees all of these idols... And his heart is broken. It's not a surface motivation where he's offended by the idols themselves. He's, in, he's, he's distressed and he's provoked and he's broken because he understands clearly what these idols represent. It's absolutely like in our culture, which is full of idols. And we have little false, small g gods that people in our culture worship all the time, whether it's the false religions of Mormonism or Hindu or Baha'i or the one that's perhaps the most popular, money that people worship fervently or celebrity or pleasure or beauty or power. Worship is defined as anything in our life that we put in a place of prominence higher than God. Anything in our life that's more important to us than the worship of the true God of the Bible is an idol that we worship. And when we are around people and we are around them all the time who are far from God, what is going on inside you? Paul sees this and he's greatly distressed 
In some of your translations, it's going to say he was provoked by what he saw. The idea is, is that his heart is broken for lost people. He sees them and he's broken. And this is why, despite the fact that there's a mob that's chasing him and, and wants his head on a platter, and later in history, eventually they get their way. This is why he's doing it. And friends, I understand that it's getting harder to lead people to faith in Christ all the time. I understand that there's social pressure not to do this. There's been any number of times when God has used me to share Jesus with people, but I'm going to just be real honest with you. There's been any number of times I didn't do it right. There's been any number of times when I was afraid and I chickened out. And so this is, and I don't really know how else to say it, it's really one of those come-to-Jesus moments where you pray, and if you could, if there's one thing that you would remember for what I'm going to talk about here in the next 20, 25 minutes or so, if there's one thing to remember, when you pray, call on God to break your heart with the things that break the heart of God. To say, God, would you give me my, your mindset? Would you help me grapple? And, and this is just a mind-boggling thing to contemplate. Why were you motivated, God, to send Jesus to save me? What caused you to do that? Why were you willing to come, Lord Jesus, for me? And then from that, would you give me the passion that you have for lost people? Because as I keep saying and reminding you of the old saying, lost people matter to God. And I challenge, if there's one thing I challenge you with today, I challenge you to pray, Lord, break my heart with the things that break your heart. This is what's happening to Paul. He had a deep-seated conviction. He had a love, secondly, for blind people. He had a love for spiritually blind people. It says in verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Why does Paul keep trying? Well, he has this broken heart, but it also leads to a love for blind people. A love for the pastor I had growing up every Sunday morning. This is what he would pray God, give me your kind of love for the people I'm about to speak to. And Paul, Paul had a love for blind people. We see this in different places in the scripture. We see it captured, for example, in, in many of his different letters. Let me just read you one example of this. He writing to the church and in Corinth, and in 2 Corinthians, he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When people don't know Christ, Paul says, it's like there's a veil over their hearts and they are dying, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And they are literally perishing, he says in verse 4. The evil one has blinded them, 
They can't really see Jesus for who he is and what he did. And Paul loves spiritually blind people, and he's ready to do battle and put it all on the line against the evil ones so they can see Christ, so that they can make an informed decision to accept or reject Christ. And so he goes to the synagogue, which was the Jewish way of saying going to church all the time, because this is always God's plan. And then he moves, uh, he begins to reason with them there, and then he moves from the, the church to the marketplace, and the Greek word for that is the agora. And so he goes on the cardo, again the Greek word, which is the city, the, the, the street rather, which is the heart of the city, the carta, the cardo rather, and he goes down the cardo to the agora, to the marketplace, which is the central hub of the city, the marketplace of the city, the economic, the cultural, the business hub of the city. And it says that he reasoned with them there. And so some of you are thinking, and I talked a little bit about this last week, well there, this is why I don't even try, because I'm not like the apostle Paul, I don't have a towering intellect like him. I'm not, I don't have that intellectual mind. I'm not sort of in the, he would have been in the top 1% of the top 1% of that society. He was heading towards behind the high priest. Well, I'm not like Paul, so I can't do it like him. Therefore, I don't have to do it. And we talked about this last week. You don't have to be the apostle Paul. Now, if you have gifts that way, absolutely use them. But use the gifts that God has given you. And every one of us is uniquely gifted to share Jesus with people. And so you might be more like a Dorcas who pointed people to Jesus and spoke to people about Jesus out of her servant heart. When Dorcas died, everybody cried because they were going to miss Dorcas because she had blessed so many lives. Maybe you're more like a Matthew. When Matthew was recruited by Jesus to be on his team, he didn't get up and start reasoning with all the people around him. What he did is he had a big party to which he invited all his friends and he invited Jesus to speak to them. The modern day equivalent of that is that we have Alpha starting in just a few weeks' time, right after Easter. And it's going to be on a Monday night. It can be done in person here at the church or online. Brian and Katrina are leading. It's six Monday nights. There's cards out in the lobby that you can use to invite your friend and say, I, you know, would you like to go with me to something like this? There's like a 20 to 25 minute video presentation. And then it's not high pressure. It's just a discussion relative to the things that they've heard. Do they agree? Do they disagree? What do they think about this? And it's a conversation that you would be able to have based out of your relationship. However you have been gifted. Well, Paul, the way he'd been gifted is he had the ability to reason with them. That's your gifting or that's your leaning? Absolutely do it. He spoke to them. He dialogued with them. He had conversation with them. It says day by day over time. It was an extended activity. And so someone says, well, how do we love blind people? We need to have a short game and a long game. And certainly there's times for the short game. Times where God just brings 
that person your way. And it's been always been my experience when I've just said, Lord, I'm willing, would you give me a chance? He just gives me opportunities. They kind of come. And I have to be willing to kind of step out and take advantage of those opportunities, but they just come. Unexpected, one-off opportunities where you just get to share your faith or share the story of Jesus and how he's touched your life. And we absolutely need to be ready for this. I've said this many times. We're going to talk about this more next week where we talk about how. But every Christian, without exception, needs to be ready on a moment's notice to pray, to die, or to share their story. When that opportunity comes, you know, I've noticed something about you. What is it? This is an open door to share your story. To share it in a way that strips off the Christianese, which they will not understand at all. Assume they know absolutely nothing. And to share your story in three or four minutes about what Jesus has done in your life. And these one-off, short game type opportunities come. But more and more and more in our culture, the long game is what's called for. And so Paul spends time. And here's the thing. If you don't have the why resonating in your heart, you will not be bothered to invest the time. Because more and more people come to faith more in a marathon-like setting rather than a sprint. If you know anything about even the last 60, 70 years of history, about how the, the culture has changed relative to this, you can read this all over the place. But in the 1950s, People typically had at least a passing, if not more than a passing acquaintance with the Christian faith. And so really, in the 50s and 60s, the goal was just to convince them that they were sinners, and that they needed Jesus. You jump forward 40 years to the 90s. Those roadblocks are still in place, but many more roadblocks have been thrown up in the culture by then. If you do the, read the literature, if you're familiar with your time, you know that people outside the family of God looked at Christians and just said, they are weirdos. They're this little subculture that has their own little language, and they were just kind of amused by people that were part of the family of God. They saw Christianity as being absolutely untrue, and totally irrelevant. But they still had somewhat of an orientation in the culture towards God. If you look at the culture now, all those barriers are still in place. But in addition to that, the culture is not oriented to God at all. They know nothing of God. They know nothing of the Bible. The highest values of our culture our tolerance and permissiveness that have completely redefined morality. Completely. In fact, if you read some of the current writers now, more and more and more of them are advocating that having a biblical position is in and of itself immoral. Figure that one out. So what does this translate to? What does this mean for evangelism? This means that the long game comes more and more into effect. Short game still has a place. Sometimes it has, you have opportunity. But the long game is more and more the story. 
Remember what I talked about last week. I said three things. It means be yourself. Use the gifts that God has put into your life exactly like Paul has done. Then we said be relational. You have to be relational with people. Then be knowledgeable when the timing is right and when you get opportunity to share your faith. I'm going to add one. And we talked about this last week, but I didn't use this language. Actually, I heard someone in my men's Zoom prayer group use these words, and I'm going to borrow them. Um, He said, be deliberate. And we talked about this last week, but I loved his wording, be deliberate. See, sometimes we think that if I'm just a nice person, somehow they'll figure out about Jesus. Like, just it'll just happen by osmosis or something like that. And absolutely, we want to be their friend and, and, and be kind and be known as, as a generous person. But we also have to be deliberate to share faith with them to share Christ with them. And friends, this takes time and effort. It means I'm going to build relationship. I'm going to walk through life with them. I'm going to be their friend whether they ever accept Jesus or not because they're not a project. I'm going to answer their questions. And if I'm going to invest that kind of time and effort in people, I had better know why. This is why... The most important thing you can remember from what I'm going to talk about today is if I could challenge you this way, Lord, pray this way, Lord, give me a broken heart for the things that break your heart. Lost people. Lord, give me a love for blind people. Third, the third conviction is that death comes to us all. Just like I was vividly shown when I was 16 years of age. Death comes to us all. We play the long game because increasingly there's so many voices speaking into people's heads. Sadly, so many people miss out on so much of what God has for them. He wants this everyday relationship with them that's vibrant, that's life-changing, that's eternal in nature, that's purpose-filled. And he wants this for them, but so many of them avoid it, and they don't think about this stuff until their own death is getting uncomfortably close. Here's the truth. Every day, every, sorry, every single one of us will one day stand before Jesus, the righteous judge, the Bible calls him. And on that day, there will be no more spiritual blindness. The scripture says on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Sad thing is, for some people, in fact, for most people, That will be the first time. Sadly, they will be going straight to hell. What Bible clearly teaches. The others that have confessed this and own this, this grace-filled opportunity and gift from God, if they've embraced this during their life here on earth, they will spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Death comes to us all. 
says this in verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Here comes this pain line again. Okay. Paul is smarter than any one of these guys, but they're mocking him. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. He, they said this because Paul, here's why, because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So the Epicurean philosophers, they represent a group of people that are very common in our culture. And their approach to life is basically like this. We are all just a cosmic accident. You know, time and energy and chance produced us. We are a cosmic accident. When we die, we just float off into oblivion. Therefore, the highest value in life is to pursue a good life as understood by pursuing a hedonistic, pleasure-filled life. Might as well. We see this all the time in our culture. The other group represented there are the Stoics, and they worshipped logic and virtue and morality. They were good people. They were moral people. They were good works-based people. These two groups of philosophers represent popular alternatives that we see all around us in the culture for dealing with life. Very different groups of people with one thing in common. Death. They're all going to die. So Paul begins to speak to them about the good news, and the good news is this. You are going to die. This is one of the reasons that Jesus came. And by the way, Jesus conquered sin and death at the resurrection. We all die, and we will all go to one of two places. And we celebrate at Easter, we celebrated it in the last song that we sang just before I stood up here. We celebrate at Easter the resurrection of Jesus that changes all of history like no other event, no other thing in history. Lost people matter to God. And if we believe the why, it begins to pulse in front of us. Can I lay a real strong one on you? Here comes a strong one, okay? I'm not, I'm not apologizing, I'm just telling you there's a strong one coming. Ken Gillette, any people here listening to me will recognize that name. Ken Gillette is a famous magician. He and his partner, Penn and Teller, have a show in Vegas. They have their own TV show. And uh, Penn Gillette is a famous magician. He's also an outspoken atheist. But interestingly enough, he gets what I'm saying 100%. He understands the importance of the why and the motivation. And here's what he wrote. Listen to how insightful this is. Again, this is tough stuff. This outspoken atheist, but he gets it. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. 
That's just a fancy word for saying people who don't share Jesus, don't share their faith, and try to persuade or invite the person across from them to receive the message of Christ as well. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it makes it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you and this is more important than that. He doesn't believe in Jesus, but he gets, if this stuff is really true, why aren't you sharing it? Why? Last week, I gave you some homework where I invited you to take out a piece of paper, and put five boxes on the paper. I want to remind you of that. If you haven't done it, I invite you to do it. Title the five boxes, one of them family, one friends, one neighbors, one co-workers, and the mystery box. The mystery box are unexpected people that God brings across your path. And, and Paul refers to them in verse 17. He says, those who happened to be there, the unexpected people. And I invited you to pray and ask God, what names should I put in one or more of those boxes? And then make the commitment to say, I'm gonna pray for that person by name to come to Christ, and then offer yourself saying, I am willing to do, or I'm willing to say, whatever God would have me do or say to point that person to Jesus. Would you give me a chance, Lord? And then today's challenge is pray and it goes in keeping with the first challenge. Pray and say, Lord, would you break my heart with the things that have broken your heart? Lord, would you give me a love for blind people? You ever noticed how often we talk about, or that we're always willing to talk about, what we love? 